Ladies and gentlemen, sports fans alike, welcome to another edition of Bill Swirsky's Sports Talk Chicago. One of the couple, two, three best podcasts around. So sit back, grab yourself a cold one and a pole of sausage, park your keister in the front room, and listen to Bill Swirsky's Sports Talk Chicago. In Chicago, you know that all sports rock. The Bears, Hawks, Bulls, Cubs, and Sox. Pick your favorite, you can choose as long as the... Packers lose for everything you need to know. It's Bill Swarski Sports Talk Chicago. Bill Swarski Sports Talk Chicago. Hey everybody, welcome to another edition of Bill Swarski Sports Talk Chicago. This is your hosts, Alex and Sean. On this episode, we're going to be talking about the Cubs battle to try to get back to first place. We're talking White Sox. Uh, we're talking a Bears second preseason game and more. But first, I'd like to thank our sponsor, the Rockford Ice Hogs. If you're not familiar with the Rockford Ice Hogs, they're the AHL minor league affiliate of the Chicago Blackhawks. What does that mean for you? You can see the stars of tomorrow today at family friendly, affordable prices. The season is less than two months away. So make sure you head on over to icehogs.com, get yourself a hat, shirt, jersey, tickets, and more. Tell them Swirsky Sports sent you. Alex, how are you doing today? I am doing okay. Uh, like you, just got back from Wrigley Field from the Cubs game, and uh, it was nice to see a series win. And like you, like you were saying before this show, we were both thankful to be in the shade because it was a warm one. And it's only going to get warmer around here, but the Cubs do go on the road. But yeah, it was uh, it, it was one of those things where when you're in the shade, you feel perfectly fine. But then, like, if you're just walking around outside the park to get in, it's like you're in an oven. Yeah, it was it was wild today. So my mother and uh, mother in law and I were walking out and we went from shaded area, shaded area to outside. And we were in the shade uh, in Gallagher Way. And then once we got on to Clark, that's when the sun hit. I was like, whoa, it's like it was like stepping into an oven. Yeah, and you know, we've had amazing weather recently, like really, really amazing weather. And it's like, well, you know it was going to get hot, and then you kind of feel it, and you're like, all right, well, I kind of didn't miss this, but at least the fact that it wasn't raining or storming or anything and we were able to, you know, play a game under the sun, you take that at least because, you, you know, with... With the remaining schedule in the baseball season and the fact that the Cubs have used up like three of their off days in the past week and they're not going to get many going forward, you really want to not have to play a lot of double headers. So take the sun during games while you can. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. I mean, the way their starting pitching is going, they need that bullpen and having double headers is is tough. Yeah, and if I saw correctly, it's not like they're going to be getting a whole lot of time off down the stretch here. I didn't look at the full schedule, but um, last I saw, yeah, they're they're not getting too many days off. Yeah, that's rough, but that's that's just how it goes. You know, you got to weather the storm, and a lot of teams are in the same boat. All right. Should we start with talking more Cubs or where do you want to start? Yeah. Why don't we start with baseball? Yeah. So 
we talked about with this stretch of games that the Cubs had that this 12 game stretch, like the worst case scenario, they have to go eight and four. And we're, we're like five games in and they're three and two. So that's, that's not a good start, you know, splitting with the white Sox, um, winning with a, you know, uh, not sweeping the Royals. That's, that's tough. Um, you know, they've, they've got to pick up this pace a little bit because I was expecting the Brewers to fare worse against the Rangers than they are. And, uh, you know, we're, we're not gaining ground here. Well, I'll tell you during this stretch, you know, obviously you're not going to win every single game, but, um, Friday's loss against the Royals was really frustrating, really, really frustrating. It just, it looked like they were kind of sleepwalking the whole way. And you had an early lead, you know, you were down and then you had an early lead because you rallied early on and you're up three to two and then you did nothing. You did nothing since then. And you saw several runs score after some bad first baseman play by Patrick wisdom. And that was on multiple occasions. You know, there were several errors made over at first base. Wisdom was playing there and those cost you essentially two runs because the second error was followed by a Bobby Witt go ahead Homer. And you would think that even with that, you'd be able to score off the bullpen, but they didn't. And I mean, frankly, they, they did not dominate this series whatsoever. And Winning the series, you won the series. That's the important thing. That's good. But I mean, look at look at today's game. They it came down to the wire yeah, against the I, Royals. I mean, you know, after the first inning, you know, we um I, I was like, okay, I feel comfortable. You know, we had it, we were up two one and then got the the insurance run from from the uh Suzuki home run and then uh Amaya's home run. And then you're like, okay, all right, I'm feeling comfortable. Ninth inning, Alzale, and they needed all four of those runs. Yeah, because... I mean that that Amaya home run ended up being the game winner. Yeah, it was, and you know, is on the stat sheet. You, if you look, uh, Hendricks pitched a pretty good game, but he had he got himself into some some spots there, and they were hitting him pretty good. Um, got a couple just, of lineouts to Hap's glove and Suzuki's glove. Definitely yeah. got some help from the defense. Yeah, got a, a few deep fly balls. Um, and it it was you know it was not a a great game. I mean, stat wise, it was fine, but it was not a great game for Hendricks. And the yeah, cup- I mean, the nice thing is he was able to get a little bit of fortune because he hasn't gotten that lately. No, no, he hasn't. Um, and the Cubs hitters, uh, they they seem to be able to square up on on the Royal starter. But they just it, it was so many hard hit outs, and yeah, it was yeah. so frustrating. Like I, it wasn't like, I mean, they they should have capitalized more on a guy with a six and a half ERA, but they they were hitting him square. It just, you know. It's it doesn't matter how hard you hit it. It's where you hit it. And they hit it directly at people. Yeah. I, and 
I mean, it, it felt like though the middle innings, they were just kind of hacking and hitting pop-ups and grounders, but there were definitely a number of occasions where you were like, okay, you know, you hit it well, but it was right at somebody. I mean, the first inning, every out and hit was squared up big time. Like Talkman lined out. That was a rocket. And I mean, that was the set the tone for the game. Like first right. batter rocket. And then after that, there was a lot of those and just couldn't, couldn't, uh, you know, aim them a, a couple feet over, but you know, they, they did enough to win. It does feel like in a way that part of it is maybe a little bit of the evening out of the Babbitt luck, so to speak, because when they were on that just unbelievable tear a few weeks ago, everything the Cubs were putting in play was finding grass. I mean, like everything. So maybe you just say, okay, maybe it's just a tad of regression and things will be fine. And, and I think they will be. Um, so like today you got five hits in eight innings against Jordan Lyle and four runs. I mean, you won the game so fine. Um, I think what stood out more though was the first two games of the series. I, Cause like there was no real misfortune in game one of the series. They just flat out did not hit. Right. Yeah. Game one of that series. Like, I mean, it sucked cause Tyone didn't pitch terribly. Um, didn't pitch great, but didn't pitch terribly. Just the defense didn't help him out. And the offense didn't help him out. The second game that we we did win. We needed a, you know, it, it sucks that we had to take a, a Justin Steele start to get a win in, in that Kansas City series. Um, well, but- you know, it, the thing about that game too was they scored those runs early on. Bellinger hit the home runs. You're up six to one. You're thinking, okay, this will be a cakewalk. But then the bats went asleep and the Royals. Listen, credit the Royals the series. They did not give up. They played hard. Even in today's game, that that team did not give up because there were kind of times during this series where the Cubs just kind of looked like they were on autopilot, so to speak. You know, I'm going to say this is the Royals got some nice players. Bobby, Bobby Witt's Bobby legit. Witt, yeah, their catcher's legit. Um, they They've got some nice players. Bobby Witt is really good. I remember, you know, growing up, I, it's funny, like a lot of, a lot of my baseball knowledge when I was little, cause we didn't, we didn't have cable and we only really got the Cubs games on TV. So if the Cubs weren't playing a team, I didn't know a lot about them. I learned a lot from baseball cards. I was a big baseball card kid and I read the back and read the stats. And when, and then when I saw Bobby Witt Jr. The, for the first time, you know, not this weekend, but the first time I saw him, I was like, I've got his dad's baseball card. Nah. <laughs> and I said the same thing with, with Mark Leiter Jr. I'm like, I've got his dad and his uncle's baseball card. No, and there you go. It, it's, it's fun. To, it's fun now that I'm older to, to see these players that, you know, I watched their dads and their uncles and their grandpas play. Um, and then be able to watch them. And, and, uh, you know, it's, it seems like a lot more that there's that lineage is, is helpful to players. And you're seeing so many players like Bo Bichette and um, Guerrero and, 
you know, there's so many players that are, are kids of players that were good when I was a kid and, and just seeing that. And that's, that's neat. That's a neat. Yeah, it's not just the Griffies and the Alus anymore. Yeah. The Alus, man, there was that they were, they were just a powerhouse family. I mean, how many Alus played in the majors? At least four, right? Felipe Moises. Uh, there's gotta be at least four. I, cause Felipe was Moises's father and, um, there, there were two other Alou siblings, at least two other siblings, I believe, that played. Uh, Matty Alou, wasn't he one of them? Um, let's see. There was uh, Felipe Alou. Um, I think his brother played. Um, yes. Moises. Uh, there was. God, who, who were the other Alous? At family reunions, they pee on their hands. Ha! Um, Jeez, uh, Maddie Alu. Yep. Um, his cousin, uh, Moises's cousin, played baseball too. Mel Rojas. Oh, that's his cousin. Mm-hmm. I didn't know that. Um, and his uh, half brother was was the manager of the Mets for a couple years. Luis Rojas. Huh. Man, that family is something. Yeah, then there's the Bonds, Barry and Bobby. Oh, uh, there's um Jesus Alou. That was the other yeah. uh oh, yeah. that Jesus was the Salu. other Felipe um sibling. Yeah, I remember like my when I was a kid when when Ken Griffey Jr. first came up, I was like, his dad his dad was like one of the older players when I first got into baseball cards. And I was like, and I was like, Oh, I was like, that's Ken Griffey's son. You know, so excited to get that baseball card. And then, you know, he turned out to be a far superior player to his dad. And that's not a knock on his dad. His dad was a very good baseball player, but Ken Griffey was, was, I mean, he's great. Yeah. I mean, Ken Griffey's arguably like the most complete position player of all time. Yeah, I mean, you know, it's it's funny, like when when you live through an era, it's so much different to define a player by his stats than when you watched him. Like, you know, a lot of people just forget about Frank Thomas now. And he was like the most feared hitter in baseball for a while. Oh, sure. Yeah. And Ken Griffey was just that was the, the dude he was. You know, we talked about him like people talk about Shohei Otani right now. It was you know, not in the same manner, but like in the same hyperbole, like he's the face of baseball. He's this guy that, you know, is, is the best player and, you know, you want him on your team and, and, you know, and, and the white Sox got that way too late. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but you know, yeah. it, it's, it's just funny going to the Alu thing just really quick. He, he his Moises's career numbers. Have you ever looked at them? Mm-mm. They're really good. Like, listen, his career slash line is 303, 369, 516, career OPS of 885, and 332 home runs. That's a really good ball play right there. Wow. Yeah, he was that Seriously? good. Yeah. 
Huh. Career OPS plus a 128. Wow. That's wild. Yeah. He missed two years due to injury, 1991 and 1999. You think if he plays those two seasons, he wouldn't have quite 400 home runs, but he'd be closer, you know, because he'd hit between like 20 to 30 a year. So let's say he hit, you know, just give him 40 more career homers you know, that's that's over 350 homers, but 332 still ain't shabby. No, that's that's a that's a great career. Never would have thought that. Yeah. A six time all star, two time silver slugger, World Series champion with the Marlins in 97. He was the second overall pick. By the Pirates. Yeah, he was a pirate initially. Yeah. And oh, they trade him right away. Yeah, sent Moise yeah. Salu to the Expos. Yeah, he went to the Expos, and that's that's where he really blossomed. Why'd uh, they trade him? I don't remember. Oh, the I... Pirates are a dumb organization, so. <laughs> yeah. Um... Good old wee-wee hands. <laughs> I mean, look at that career K rate, eleven percent. Really damn good. Three oh. Wow. You know, if he wasn't injured those two years, and maybe his his initial career got off to a slightly quicker start, you may be looking at a Hall of Fame case. Yeah, you know what the thing is, is he just never got that notoriety. Like he was always no. a good player, but he, he never got that notoriety. Like, and I think sometimes that hype is is what differentiates between two players. He was always kind of a complimentary piece, and not like an MVP piece, if that makes sense. Yeah, like you didn't build around him, but he was a solid addition. Like Moise Salou was number two to Sosa here in Chicago. Yeah, I look at him like a. Um. Uh, oh my God, what is the guy that we got from the Pirates that played third base? Uh, Aramis Ramirez, mm-hmm. like a player like that, really good player and helped make this team better. But he wasn't the the focus. He wasn't the the man. So, in terms of fan graphs, forty seven point seven career F war. Here's what killed him. Not not kill, but he was never the best defender. Uh, there's a very famous incident, as you may recall. Well, yes. Um, <laughs> yeah. But I, it's funny you mention that because I remember Steve Stone in um, an interview in one of the documentaries about that thing that happened 20 years ago this year. Well, I'll tell you one thing. I know Moises Alou is not going to be winning many gold gloves. I don't think he has any on his shelf, but he really should be able to make that catch. You know, that's kind of Moises Alou as a player. You never thought of him as a defender in the outfield. He he was in left field. Nobody really cared about left field defense, you know? So he he was always just 
an offensive player, a 129 career WRC plus. And, you know, it was one of those things where he was really just purely a hitter and like at best serviceable in the outfield. If if he had an above average glove, I think he would have a bigger Hall of Fame case. Oh, yeah. And I'm looking at Ramos Ramirez. Career 386 uh, home runs. Career slash line of 283, 341, 492. Um, and wound up with 20, over 2,300 hits. Well, and he, he was, he was, you made a really good comparison with him and Alou because it's like, he's not your MVP, but he's an important part of your team. He comes up big. And neither were known for the Aramis Ramirez was never known for his third base defense, but you kind of let it slide because he was always hitting. It didn't really, it, it wasn't bad enough to be like, this is a liability, but it was never gold glove caliber. Well, you didn't have DH. So where was he going to go? Like that? Was, right. He was a one position guy. He did. Right. And he did enough to just be at best serviceable, basically at third base. Yeah, he was. He was, I would say, average. Yeah. Maybe slight, yes, maybe slightly below average. You know, um, this is all relevant because this is the 20th anniversary of the 03 Cubs. It is. It really is. And I'm looking at their Fangraphs page now. Okay. Uh, before we get back to modern Cubs, you want to play a little uh, guessing game here? On the 03 Cubs? Yes, I got some stats. Uh, play a little stat guessing game. All right, let's go. Okay. First of all, who was the F war leader on the 03 Cubs? Uh, position player or ever anybody? Total. The number one guy. Carlos Zambrano. No. Hmm. Uh, Sosa? Nope. Moises Alou? Yep. Okay. That's correct. A 3.4 F4 for Moises Alou and 151 games played. Sosa was second with 2.8. Okay, so now let's do WRC+. plus Leader for qualified position players. Qualifying. Is it going to be somebody that surprises me? No. Oh, okay. Aramis Ramirez. Nope. Moiselu? Nope. Sosa? That's right. 131. Okay. All right. That's you were going to, at first when I asked the surprise, I'm like, is it going to be like Corey Patterson? <laughs> Corey Patterson. Um, so I haven't filtered out exactly uh, qualified here, but 
Number one was technically Sergio Mitre, but that's because he had like one hit and three at bats that entire year. So, and then uh, uh, Trenton Hubbard had played in like 10 games. But in terms of guys that played at least 50 games, you had Sosa one, Kenny Lofton two with 121. So, uh, Kenny Lofton was really, really valuable for the Cubs that year. Yeah. Okay. Now, Here's another interesting guess. Who was the leader in OBP that year in terms of guys who played at least 50 games? Because I'm trying to make a point here with this one. Uh, oh, this one's going to be so on base percentage. Um. And I, I'm, I didn't mean to say at least 50. I mean at least 100 games. Kenny Lofton? No, he played 56. If it would have been at least 50 oh, okay. games, it would have been Kenny Lofton. At least 100 games. That, that's oh, my thought. I mean. right. At least 100 games, yeah. Um, On base percentage, at least 100 games. Mark Grudzelanek? That's right. 366. He batted 314 that year. Okay. You know, he was kind of, uh, I, I don't want to make the full comparison, but he kind of was like Nico Horner in a way. I think that Grudzelana got on base a little more than Nico Horner, but, uh, you know, higher average, low power. I think Nico, Nico has a little more pop because Grudzelana only hit three, but I think yeah, Grudzelana. Yeah, he's not a, he had no pop. No. So I think Horner has at least a little bit. And Gridzalonic hit for a bit of a higher average. So, but it's kind of that same concept. Here's your second baseman, not known for power, more for contact line drive, um, but like a 100 ish WRC plus. Um, okay. Now, here, here's a name that I'm sure you remember. You remember Hesop Choi? Yep. First baseman. Mm hmm. Do you remember how many games he played in that year? Uh, I'm going to guess he played roughly half the season. So I'm going to guess 81. 80. You were off by one. That is an excellent guess. That is like really, really, really freaking spot on. Good job. Because wasn't it the game where he bumped into Kerry Wood and he was knocked out cold against the Yankees? I think that was his last game of the year might have been because then they got randall simon to platoon with uh eric Eric Karos. yeah and that's the other funny thing too that people sometimes forget they think oh oh three wasn't Derek lee no he was on the marlins yeah he was on the marlins that year and he broke your he broke our backs in game six and seven that year yep (sighs) okay let's do one more here Okay. And uh, there was something with fan graphs. So when I asked about um, the the original, the F4 leader, mm-hmm. that was my mistake. That was just position players. Okay. So, because I knew something wasn't right. Because, do you know, uh, now that I have in front of me, the overall F4 leader on the 03 Cubs, you could probably Mark, guess. Mark Pryor. 
7.8. He had a real good year that year. Cause yeah, when I because that was his O war I was looking at. I'm like, wait a minute, this isn't right. So yeah, the, the Moises Alou was the leader in position F war, while total F war is Mark Pryor. 7.8. Carlos Sembrano was 4.7. Kerry Wood was 4.2. Matt Clement was 2.9. So your top, your top three valuable, was, most valuable guys were pitchers. Who was pitchers. the fifth starter that year? Was it Sean Estes? Yes, that's right. Okay. Yeah, I, I don't know. I, I was hoping that they would organize war by total team, but you have to click on batting and pitching for this archive. So we are just seeing batting war for Mark Pryor. So, yeah, I, I knew something wasn't right there, but... A 243 ERA, 247 FIP, a 292 uh, XFIP. Uh, you had a 10.4 K per nine and a 7.8 F4 for Mark Pryor. That is unreal. I want to say that year, um, Zambrano pitched over 30 games and only gave up single-digit home runs, if I remember correctly. Like, seven or eight home runs. Let's see. In, in, in like, 30 starts. Nine home runs in 32 starts. Yeah, I remember that was... That's incredible, because Mark Pryor, he gave up, you know, not a ton of home runs, but he gave up, you know, uh, home runs, and, and, and Zambrano just was he was stingy with giving up home runs yeah that year he was and uh zambrano pitched more innings than any other starter on the team and no pitcher pitched more innings than carlos zambrano that year and i i bet you know it's funny to think about is i bet i bet the cubs had at least three pitchers over 200 innings four Clement got over four or over 200. Yep. Okay. I know Estes didn't. No, no. He had 152. Yeah. But it's wild to think about four pitchers with over 200 innings. And Kerry Wood and Mark Pryor both pitched a, a 211 innings. Mark Pryor just happened to pitch one third of an inning more. So your top four guys in terms of innings pitched. Zimbrano, 214. Mark Pryor, 211.1. Kerry Wood, 211. Matt Clement, 201.2. You, that, you, you don't see that anymore. No. You do not see that at all. Which, to me, is just, just bonkers. That's it's that's wild. I wouldn't have guessed Matt Clement had over 200, but the other three, yeah, I that that's insane. Well, because so uh, Zebrano started 32 games, Pryor 30, Kerry Wood 32, Matt Clement 32, Sean Estes appeared in 29 games, started 28 of them, and the other. Here's the last trivia question for you: Who are the other pitchers? to start games for the Cubs that year. There's Sergio, two. I know Sergio Mitre started at least one game. Two. 
Um, I couldn't tell you who else. Juan Cruz. I, I never would have guessed that. I just remembered. Yeah, I remember that Sergio Mitre had start at least started one game, and I was like, I I don't know why that was stuck in my head. He's an awful person. Did you hear about that stuff? No. I don't even want to say it on this show, but if if you're inclined to find out, and I'd really risk you looking, like I, I truly do, if you look up Sergio Mitre, you're going to be horrified. Oh, my God. I bet... I bet... If you look at last year's Cubs... I'm going to, I would put 50 bucks down. It says nobody had 150 innings pitched that, that nobody had as many innings pitched as Sean Estes did in 2020, Let's take a look, Shelly. I, I believe you're right. Cause yeah, I don't think anybody because what Marcus Stroman didn't pitch 200 innings. No, I bet, they, but I bet, I bet nobody even had over 150 let's let's see who the leader was because i honestly don't remember i don't know if it was steel or because i mean stroman probably led it i'm gonna guess keegan thompson second justin Steele third if i'm guessing but i bet i bet like the stroman probably had like 150 140 innings something like that Strowman led the way with 138. And you remember he missed a few starts because he had that injury. Yeah. And then uh, Justin Steele is second with 119. Yeah. <laughs> Zambrano had almost 100 more innings pitched. Yeah. Keegan Thompson, 115. Drew Smiley, 106 in a third. Adrian Sampson, 104 in a third. Man, I forgot about him. And then Kyle Hendricks because he got hurt midway through. Yeah. Yeah, it's. I mean, times have changed. They've really, really changed. I mean, you don't really see many 200-inning pitchers anymore, period. Back then, it was just like, listen, you could have given up three or four runs, but you're still probably pitching into the seventh inning. What the... Oh, my God. I just Googled Sergio Mitre. Yeah. Pretty screwed up. Wow. I mean, I always hated him. He was an awful pitcher. Like, why? Oh, my God. It's, like I said, you don't even want to repeat it on this show. Uh, I don't even want to repeat the first incident. No. It was in the Mexican League. Like, oh, my God, what? Forty to 60 years. That's not enough. Jesus Christ. Wow. What a terrible, terrible person. That's putting it lightly. Yeah, I'm going to go out and say that Alex is absolutely correct. Don't Google it. It's that bad. It's. Oof. Oof. That's brutal. 
Oof. I knew I had a reason for hating him as a kid, in addition to him just being a garbage pitcher. Well, <laughs> um, I'm gonna I'm gonna change subjects here, and I'm gonna ask you a question. Okay. If you are Jed, and you have the money to re-sign one player from this team, one player of the two, Jamer Candelaria or Cody Bellinger? Cody Bellinger. Okay, I agree. I, I and more so because he's a better defender and a more versatile defender. Um, I think that really throws it over the the top for me. Well, and I think too, just his track record, like Jamer Candelario, when he's healthy is a very solid ball player, but when you have a healthy Cody Bellinger, he's been an MVP before he's multi-time all-star MVP world series champion. It's just, you have a higher ceiling. Do you think the Cubs will sign either one? Yes, but I'm scared that it's not going to be Cody Bellinger. I'm scared that Cody Bellinger has priced himself out of Chicago. Which is crazy because when you think about it, there's not going to be a whole lot of teams that are going to be able to pay that price or at least willing to pay that price. But I also think you're right. Um, Because he's going to want, he's going to want a multi-year deal. And and really good money, and he deserves it. Well, you know what I think is going to happen? You know what I could totally see happening? In the desperation to get back on track, the Yankees are just going to shell whatever he wants for him. I don't be surprised. I mean, that team is in shambles right now. That's putting it lightly. I mean, that team's a mess, and they need... Could you imagine Cody Bellinger playing 81 games at that ballpark with that short porch, with that lefty swing? Oh yeah. And and the thing is is I love I love watching when the Yankees make high price uh signings and they fail. A lot of them, I mean, Garrett Cole has worked, but uh do you remember when they signed Jacoby Ellsbury way back when? Yeah. That was that was bad. That was really bad. And frankly, the whole Carlos Rodon thing doesn't look like a fruitful investment either. No, it doesn't. And I will tell you, though, that I know a lot of Yankees fans because I lived on the East Coast for a long time. They're not big fans of Garrett Cole because you look at him not just blindly on the stats. You look at him as the the contract with the stats and the expectations that came along with him. And I feel like one of the issues with Garrett Cole too, is that he's kind of built this reputation of doesn't necessarily pitch well in the crucial games. Mm-hmm. If you know what I mean? Yep. I mean, he's 10 and four with a three Oh three ERA. Like that's, like the numbers are fine. It's just the numbers on the surface are great, but but the contract they gave him and the expectations that they had where he would lead them versus what he has are just don't mesh. And um you know, and it's not a complete disaster like if they would have signed Trevor Bauer, 
but right right but it's they're not happy with it and the rodan signing is is not working out yeah and i i legit don't know how much physically rodan has left in the tank i'm not going to go that far but the injuries man those have piled up they have they have piled up I mean, it's it's a concern, right? Oh, absolutely. You know, he he peaked at the right time. Could you imagine though, if because uh, that he had a really good year with the Giants last year? Could you imagine if the Giants just got a, a haul for him at the deadline? What was that? Well, the, he was with the Giants last year. Could you imagine yeah. if they trade him and got a haul for him? Oh, yeah, that would have been wild. Instead of, you know, the opt-out. You know, the other funny thing, too, is I was actually a big advocate of bring Carlos Rodon to the north side, but kind of glad we didn't do that. You know, I thought his injury history would be behind him, and I'm glad that we didn't bring him in. Me, too. Because it's crept its way back. Um. You know, I I wish him well, but uh, you know he's he's having a rough go. Yeah, he is. Um, yeah. So the next the next batch of games we got this week, we got three in Detroit, three in Pittsburgh. We already have the announcement of who the uh, the projected starters are. So we'll have. Assad pitching game one, Smiley game two, and Tyone pitching game three. Um, and the Tigers, they're not a brutal team, but you know we've got we've got to come up, we've got to win both of these series. Yeah, you do. Now the Tigers, there are some things I must admit that I I'm a little worried about. I don't know if you know about Spencer Torkelson, but He's been on yeah. fire lately. He's looking like the top prospect everyone expected him to be. Oh, yeah. Wasn't, I, he the, wasn't he like the number one or number two prospect for a while? Yeah, he was like the first overall pick a few years ago. And I really like Spencer Torkelson and I hope he does well, but I'm not really looking forward to him playing against the Cubs. And that's because look at the pattern of the past few series. What has been one of the biggest patterns? If, if you can guess what I'm thinking about. Poor starting pitching. Well, it's the fact that the the guy that you don't want to beat you that can beat you has beaten you. Bobby Witt Jr. Pete Alonzo, Luis Robert in the yep. one game. Yep. That's been the Cubs downfall forever, though. Which, I mean, when you're a really good player, it makes sense. It's just, you know, like, like, do you remember in today's game? when there were two in scoring position and two out and Bobby Witt was up and they pitched to him and luckily he lined out to Suzuki. Like and that Suzuki, Suzuki almost botched that one. Yeah, he did. That made my heart skip a few beats. But I mean, they were a few feet away from that really biting them in the ass again. Yeah. I mean, you had, you had an open base on first. I thought they were going to, I didn't not intentionally walk him, but not give him anything to hit and either make him swing outside the zone or take a base. 
Right, like give him the old unintentional, intentional walk. Yeah, I mean, if he wants to swing at high outside or something low and chop it into the dirt, like, all right, that's fine. Let him do it. But um, if you walk if, him, you walk him. But if you walk him, yeah, you're not you're not upset by it. Yeah, so, I mean, you got to be careful with Torkelson and don't give Javi anything to hit. Just don't. Just pitch him a high fastballs. He'll swing. High fastballs, pitches in the dirt. Just get nothing, it done. Nothing in the strike zone. Yep. Yep. Just, just no meatballs. No, there, there was, um, there was a game, I think last week. And if you watched it, you saw like this strikeout by his head that was just particularly terrible. It was like, it was basically on the edge of the other side of the batter's box and he swung at it. Like, just don't make any mistakes to him. Don't let him beat you. We know where the weaknesses are. We watched it for how long? A long time. <clears throat> um, man. You know, a lot of people were very upset by, um, <clears throat> excuse me, by the Cubs not re-signing all the players that they had from the World Series team and trading them away or letting them go. <clears throat> and honestly, for the most part, it's worked out in the Cubs' favor. And Chris Bryant has just, you know, injuries. Always injured just decimated him ever since he got that shoulder injury he is not the same guy no like he can hit and get on but he doesn't have that pop <clears throat> but now he's he's hurt everywhere like he's he's off on and off the il he's he's honestly become like Eloy Jimenez yeah and uh you know Javi Baez is just he's not a dude um and like slash line, ri- yeah slash line 224 264 328 but well, watch he's going to have a hell of a series against the cubs he's got eight home runs this year he'll hit uh, three against the cubs yeah R- rizzo has worked out but Partly, I mean, not taking anything away from him, but he went to a really perfect spot for him. Just unfortunate, though. You, I, I assume you know about the concussion and everything. I don't, I don't know. Yeah. I don't remember if we talked about it or not. We, but we that's... did, we didn't, but yeah, just too bad. Um, I mean, didn't he play with that for a while? For like two months. Yeah. Um, so, you know, but for the most part, it's worked out in the Cubs favor. You know, they would have had to pay. Can you imagine them being saddled with all those contracts? And like, we would be just singing a different tune. And we wouldn't have the farm system we have now. Yep. P. Crow Armstrong is doing something literally every day. Yeah, 
he's he's making it real hard to not you know call him up i mean coming into today while we're recording he was hitting over 300 in triple a and he had an obp of like 400 and it had an ops of a thousand in triple a like you want to talk about a guy that made an adjustment uber quickly that's one guy that does that yeah he's he's just you know incredible <clears throat> his his 2023 stats 290 uh, batting average 18 home runs 71 rbis and a 910 ops in 365 at bats his career minor league statistics a 305 batting average with a 908 ops Pretty good. Pretty, pretty, pretty good. And he's still. And you see the catches he's making? Yep. There is one thing, though. I sure as hell hope that he adjusts at Wrigley Field because you can't barrel into the wall like you can in every other ballpark at Wrigley Field. I don't know if you remember the baseball player Kevin Mitchell. Can't Kevin Mitch. I mean, that's a familiar name. He played for the San Francisco Giants when they were good, when like Will Clark was on the team. Um, and he, he, a couple times against the Cubs, just went full barrel into the wall. And the team hired uh, somebody to help him learn how to maneuver, like when you get to the warning track. Because a lot of the places he was playing, I think Candlestick at the time was a, like a fen- fence. It gave or had padding. Um, so you had give. But certain other places just did not. And they were like, they were trying to teach him like once you hit that warning track, you had to you had to kind of, you know, give into that wall. Like you could go into it, but you had to uh, like start going par- parallel to it. And and then like so your your force was going sideways and not straight into it. And he was just you know, man, that dude could have killed himself running into straight brick. Yeah, it's uh you can't go all Bronco Nagurski. Um that's that is ill advised. PCA is a terrific athlete, but uh, he's not built like Bronco Nagurski. No, no, he's not. And he doesn't have a name like Bronco Nagurski. They give him that that extra, that extra oomph. I mean, it, it's so fitting that the Chicago Bears and the NFL has a Hall of Famer named Bronco Nagurski. And that Bronco Nagurski was a massive human being. That was insanely strong. I mean, you you can't be given the name Bronco Nagurski and and be not. Nick Madrigal. Yeah, like that just doesn't work. No, it it does not. Like the universe works itself out like that. Exactly. Um, other side of town. I don't have a ton to say about the White Sox. 
Um, we talked a little bit about the Cubs series. I mean, um, the Cubs couldn't hit against Toussaint, uh, Toussaint and, and Clevenger looked like, you know, Bob Gibson out there. Yeah. Yeah. He looked really good against the Cubs and, you know, obviously the Morrell home run negated that, but I mean, that was one of his better games thrown as a member of the White Sox. Um, couldn't you kind of argue right now that Mike Clevenger is your best guy in the rotation at the moment? And listen, you sold I, off. I get it, but I, I, it's funny. I have the next thing I was going to say is how concerned are you about the way Dylan sees is pitching? It's a little concerning. I mean, even when he has like good outings, they're never deep. Yeah. They're like five innings. He just throws a lot of pitches. And and Kopech absolutely just forgot how to pitch against Colorado. He yeah. Was, he was throwing batting practice out there. And listen, the toughest place in the world to pitch is Colorado. But it, it was still uh, dog turd taco effort out there that night. I mean, that was one where you want to get up in your puking stilts and go. Bleh, bleh, bleh. Yeah. I mean, that's that like pitching line from Kopech was brutal. Yeah, it was like the only time you ever can have a line like that is you come out of that start and be like, yeah, um, I tore my rotator cuff and I was like, well, our bullpen is taxed. So I need to go out there and give us eight innings anyway. And you're like, okay, that makes sense. <laughs> right. Right. And he only had what one strikeout that game. So it's not like he even like whiffed a lot. It it, it was uh it it was just it was bad. Yeah, none I, the walks are an issue and Yeah, and that's a guy you're counting on. Like you're counting on him for next year. Yeah. So like I mean would you agree right now that like Mike Clevenger's your best guy? I mean, yeah. I mean, abs- absolutely. Yeah. And that's that's a tough pill to swallow. That's like a, a horse pill. That's like the size of a freaking thimble. That's a two that's thimbles a, put together. That's a horse pill rolled in shit, broken glass. <laughs> <laughs> that's you're like man that's brutal you're just and, trying to choke it down <laughs> you sound like the marty have that crock pot trying to swallow the pill yeah you're, you're washing it down with mountain dew and crab juice oh <laughs> uh, don't eat the have kalash before or after uh, but man, none of those games in the Colorado series were close. Those were all just blowouts. One way or another. Because yeah. the White Sox turned what looked like another loss into a blowout looking win today with what, seven runs in the eighth inning. So you're like, okay, well, finally they took advantage of that hitter's paradise. But, you know, you didn't get anything from Kopech. You didn't get everything from Jesse Schultons, which you know, might just be a case of the Colorado blues because Jesse Schultons has actually been pretty good overall. Yeah. And it's, you know, as we go by every week, 
you're just like, man, the White Sox are just sinking deeper and deeper. They're like over 20 games out of the wild card. There's there's just zero. Like, I don't know if they're mathematically eliminated yet, but they're they're essentially mathematical. I mean, they're essentially just eliminated. There's no way they can make the postseason. And it's there's still quite a bit of baseball left to be played. And I don't like I feel for the White Sox fans because how do you keep watching when you know that it's just going to get worse from here because next season's going to suck? Well, I mean, I think in terms of this season, too, I mean, we all sit here asking ourselves, why is Elvis Andrews and Yasmani Grandal still getting playing time? Yeah, you know, for whatever shit we could talk about the Cubs is every time we're like, why is that player getting at bats? And then just this week, why is Tucker Barnhart getting at bat? Oh, nope. He's DFA'd. He's gone. They just get rid of guys and the White Sox don't because they want they want to extract every dollar they can from from them to make it justifiable why they paid them. And I just don't get it. You know, you you gave Yasmani Grandal a lot of money. You that that contract didn't end up being worth it. But why keep playing him? You're at the end of the contract. It's yeah. it's over. He he's going to be gone next year. You have he, a month and a half he, to go. Yeah, he is a pain in the ass in the locker room. Start your start your culture building now. Is pay yeah, him Pedro. to go away. Yeah, pay him to go we, away. We're trying to figure out the culture. Is pay guys to go away. Is you got two months left. Um, and. Just pay him to go away. He's he's done. You're not bringing him back. He doesn't want to be back. Oh, but, you know, Elvis Andrews has been playing really well lately. Who cares? Yeah. It's, he's not the future. And I don't I don't hate out on Elvis Andrews. I thought it was when they brought him back, I thought it was a good idea. And. But, you know, don't. Don't have him you know, block the path of, of someone that's going to be playing in the future. If you have anything in Lennon Sosa, just let him play, let him play, you know, let bring, bring as many young kids as you can. Just let them play, figure things out, get some experience. You you're done. You can't make the postseason. You know, you're, you're so far behind. I mean, it's it's wild how far behind they are. Um, and let's see, they are 15 and a half games behind the twins. Um, so the standings in that division, the twins are in first, who are actually above 500 at this point. Uh, oh, Guardian, good for them. Guardians are six games behind. The Tigers are seven and a half games behind and the White Sox are 15 and a half behind. And that's the good news. If you look at the wild card, they're 20 and a half behind. Uh, Let's see, make sure. Oh no, they're 20. Somebody must've lost. 
um, they're 20 games out of the wild card. And they would have to leapfrog Detroit, Cleveland, Yankees, Angels, Red Sox, uh, Toronto, and Seattle. Leap, leap, leap. Yeah, that's... Yeah. And they got like 40-ish games left. Something like that. Yeah, it's it's just no. There's no chance. So what's the point? Is I feel bad for White Sox fans because next year, next year is going to be they're just going to get rid of everything they can. They're going to pare that payroll back, and they're going to try to rebuild the farm system. And you're in for a tough ride. And I, I feel for you because you're you're now seeing you've had already had a tough season. You've already had a tough few years. You had a tough season, and they're they do, publicly they can't even admit that a major overhaul needs to be done on this team. That's how bad it is that they can't even admit that. That just no, seems they won't like, admit it. That just seems like you know step one. Mitch, you have a problem. If you're a White Sox fan, though. Don't you kind of want to just absolutely bottom out here? So maybe if you lose a hundred plus games, that might be more of an incentive for major change. Isn't that your best bet at this point? Because if you win a bunch of meaningless games and you go from like an awful record to just like a bad, not the worst record, isn't that kind of sadly enough for Jerry to be like, yeah, we can fix this. We're keeping everyone here. It's fine. I mean, if let's just say you go on a losing streak and you end up losing a hundred games, do you think that matters to Jerry? Probably not, but there is a more chance that it will than if he had like a mediocre record. I mean, they're not going to have a mediocre. They're on, they're on pace now to have 98 losses. No, I I know. I know. I'm just, I'm just saying hypothetically. I mean, they will spin anything. If if Major League Baseball went, you know what? We want to incentivize fun, and we're going to give a wild card spot to uh, a random team based on a lottery drawing. And the White Sox won with a 98 losses and went to the postseason because of of absolute luck draw in a lottery. Jerry would hang his hat on that course uh, so i you know i don't expect major changes there you're guaranteed pedro grafal is going to be your manager period you know you know what i see happening honestly i i see i see them rearranging a few things and it's going to be like uh oh you know well we moved this guy to this department. We moved Rick Hahn to this apartment. We've, we've taken accountability and we've, we've made some major changes when it's just rearranging some deck chairs on the Titanic. That's what I see happening. Yeah. I mean, I think technically Tony LaRusse is still on, on the, uh, the dole. And yeah, I think gonna... this is, this was the last year of his contract. I believe. Oh, was it? Okay. So, you're off of that one, but you know, Jerry doesn't like to pay two, two managers. 
Um, Unless it's Tony La Russa because he loves him. Yeah, so you're not paying Pedro Grafal and then somebody else too. And I think your best bet is somebody deciding to step away, not actually firing him. If if Rick Hahn's like, you know what, I've had enough of this abuse. I'm going to take a year off and figure things out. But if because that guy that I don't know if we talked about it or not, but the the fact that he went after fans on Twitter, like, oh, the whole cesspool thing, move. yeah, yeah, it's like yeah, that, that's. I mean, sure, Twitter, Twitter has Twitter is a cesspool, but he's not wrong. You know, but you shouldn't you say look, it. Um, is Twitter is a cesspool, but you have a whole lot of fans on Twitter that are passionate fans. Yes that deserve a whole lot better an acknowledgement from you. That's why you shouldn't say it because it sounds like you're generalizing. Yeah. If he would have said that, Hey, there's a big segment of Twitter. That's a cesspool. Everybody would have been like, Oh yeah, I know exactly which account you're talking about. But the way you said it, it made it sounded like you were insulting the whole fan base, which yeah, can't do that, bud. You can't, you know, they're, like they're going to come for his hide, man. And I'm, I'm right there behind him, cheering him on. You can do it. Rip his head off. <laughs> you know what I see happening tomorrow? Um, uh, the, the reporters are going to talk to Rick Hahn. He's going to have his coffee in his hand with that droopy Rick Hahn look. So uh, yesterday I uh, went home and there was a bunch of, of vomit all over my front <laughs> lawn. I don't know exactly uh, who did it. But uh, we're going to do our due diligence and find out who did do it because um, I feel that it's not really fair for me or anyone in the White Sox organization to have puke all over their front lawn. And I'm going to be thinking the whole time, oh, Sean, how did you have time to go out to Rick Hahn's place and then come back for this show? <laughs> there is a source from one of my neighbors that it was some guy on giant stilts. Uh, we cannot confirm that fully until we do a complete investigation. And it, uh, my neighbor said he was carrying what be- was he believed was a crock pot. <laughs> <laughs> the crock pot was also making um, distinct noises of regurgitation. <laughs> uh but yeah, Rick Hahn, Rick Hahn is, he's just digging himself in a hole and he's, I, I don't know. He just looks like he's over it, but I don't see major changes coming. They're Whenever gonna... you hear about major changes, the, the reaction is always the same. Like, yeah, right. We'll see it when we believe it. You know, I, I know I've read that the, some believe that the White Sox farm system after this trade deadline has really been bolstered i'm i'm gonna wait and see on that i'm not gonna make judgments either way it Um, seems like it went from a bad system to an okay system from what i read i saw somebody ranked them as a top three what no i'm gonna have have to google it is i'm like what I'm not, I'm not trying to shit on the White Sox fans who are listening here. I just that MLB pipeline would highly disagree with that. Yeah. It wasn't ESPN or 
MLB pipelines. I don't remember who it was. I'll have to Google. Now, was it like most improved? Because if you're talking about just like how they've improved, then yeah, it it is a big jump. Yeah, no, no, they were talking about overall. Um, but yeah, I mean, I'm gonna wait and see on that. Right. On right. How, how they look. Um, but you know, they still need talent, and they're they're gonna have to have waves they can't just have like oh hey we have all these good players that are going to come up either in 2024 or 2025 and then a barren wasteland again is they have to figure out how to bring players up and bolster them with free agency and maintain your farm system yeah you need to keep churning it because you know when they built the last core from 2017 to 2020, they had like the best farm system in baseball, but that's because all the talent was at the top. So once the top graduated, then you didn't really have much left. Yep. And that's the thing is if when, you know, you're in rankings, your farm system, when you graduate dudes should take a dip, but it shouldn't shit the bed. It shouldn't right. just go from great to terrible overnight. Once you bring guys up, that's, that's not a, a winning recipe for a long-term success and uh you know for whatever flaws we we call jet out for he's clearly been making that into a priority because you look at the way that the cubs farm system is you've got you've got guys that are are ready to come anytime and then guys that are still several years away it's the yeah it's the depth you want yeah um, but uh, that's uh, that's a, a tough tough one to come for the White Sox, and I agree with you that you know they should they should be DFAing dudes and and just you know going to battle with the young players and players that they they think have a chance to play there next year and. Uh, see who wants who wants to still play competitive baseball even when it's the the season's pretty much over right it tells you a lot about a player when they're still playing hard and you're 20 games out with 40 games left mhm um there's one blackhawks topic i want to talk about and i'm sure you know what that is um Jonathan Taves uh, is not retiring, but he's also not going to play this year. I I don't understand what his expectation is. Does he feel like he takes another year off and goes deeper into his 30s? that suddenly he's going to be magically better and teams are going to want him and he's going to come back and have this comeback to her. I would be shocked if Jonathan Taze played in the NHL again. Could he maybe take a year off and play overseas? I, I could see that, but I, I can't see him playing in the NHL again. I just don't understand. Like he's got money and like, nothing left to prove. Yeah, nothing left to prove. He's got three Stanley Cups and a bunch of money. Like, just just enjoy the rest of your life. I don't understand 
um, you know, and you've, you've had a really good career, just announce your retirement and, and, you know, accept, accept all the, you know, the accolades that people are going to heap on you and, you know, go out with your head held high. Like right now it's by saying, well, I'm not going to retire just yet. All it is, is people going, what the fuck, dude? And, and there's, you're gaining nothing from this. Yeah. And you know, it's obviously emotional when he says goodbye to you and everything, but yeah, like I said, I would be flabbergasted if he ever played in the NHL again. I, I just, I don't see it. And, you know, especially for a guy who's physically gone, you know, he had the long-term COVID he's had the concussions. He's got the autoimmune compromise. There's a lot going on here. And just getting back on the ice after that, ugh, I, I it's that's gonna be real tough. Yeah, I mean, honestly, like I think it makes more sense for him to retire, and then if if he suddenly felt better in a year, unretire and come back, and you know, at this like retire though, get your accolades, and and then go off into the sunset without the the microscope on you. Just people like, oh, he's done. Right. Just don't understand. I don't either, but I guess we'll see what happens. Um, but the thing I've been excited, to, the most excited to talk about is we had the Bears joint practice with the Indianapolis Colts and the second preseason game. Um, in a kind of a surprise move, Coach Flus said, "Hey, you know, guys that we got a good look at this week, we're not going to play them this week or at this game." And they didn't. They didn't play a good chunk of their starters. Yeah, Justin Fields didn't play. DJ Moore didn't play. Claypool I know Claypool. Play. Well, he's kind of banged up right now. Um, I, you know, a lot of these guys are quote. Cool banged up and I don't know how much I believe um but I mean we have Nate Davis who's you know not willing to talk about any injury which makes me think that maybe he's not injured and they're just telling him he's he can't practice um I don't know what's going on it seems like a lot of subterfuge to me but um because they're they're being weird about it like what about these injuries Everybody's fine. Just just mild. Everything's good. But they're not letting guys practice. They're not letting guys play. I don't know what to think. But regardless, um, Claypool didn't play. Mooney didn't play. Uh, and most of their – I can't think – I think their whole starting offensive line didn't play. Fields didn't play. Uh, their defensive – starting defensive line didn't play. Their starting safeties didn't play. Um, the only starter that I can think of that played was Tyreek Stevenson, and that's because he's in a battle for that starting spot mm -hmm. with Terrell Smith. So it's really, it was all backups the whole game. Yeah, there wasn't a whole lot to take away, but there is one thing that I, I do kind of want to have a serious conversation about. 
Uh, hopefully it rhymes with Mycin agent. Yes, it does. Because that dude can play football. That are that's that's an NFL arm. I I know it's I I'm not looking at basically the numbers because it's a preseason game. But if you just watch him throw, that looks like an NFL arm. He does. It looks he looks like an NFL player, and it's wild to think. You're like, well, he was division. Like, why didn't he get drafted? Well, he was division two, and I'm like, Trey Lance got drafted in the top what three. Mm-hmm. And uh, uh, what's his name that the Eagles drafted from the same college was was number two. Um, God, what's his name? Uh, went to the Washington football team. Um, Carson Wentz. Carson Wentz. He was a number over two overall pick from a division school, division two school. Like it. And uh, I want to say it was Greg Gabriel that tweeted out something along the lines of that Tyson Bagent had more passing yards in his college career than like CJ Stroud uh, and like all the other top quarterbacks combined. The numbers are ridiculous. His college numbers are ridiculous. Yeah, it's insane. And when you, when you look like he makes every throw, like there's no, there's not like, I don't, how did this guy not get drafted? And he like, was poised in the pocket. He was calm in there. Yeah. He looks calm. And I was like, okay, maybe let's, maybe there's like poor athleticism in there. No, no, he's, I mean, is he Justin Fields? Oh, no, but he's also not Peyton Manning back there either. Like he, he's very, young Aaron Rodgers ish with his athleticism sneaky with it. And like, if you, if you give him a space, he'll run for 20 yards. He ran for the touchdown. That was a 92 yard drive in which you saw a nice combination of, you know, screen passes, uh, you know, passes in tight windows. And then he ran for the touchdown. I mean, and like I, those, those throws had some zip on them. So Sean, here's the thing. PJ Walker looks terrible. Like like legit terrible. And I know you signed him to a two-year deal to be a backup. And as long as Justin Fields is healthy, PJ Walker is whatever as a backup. But I'm not saying obviously I'm not saying the funny thing like oh Tyler Bajan should be QB1 bench at fields no i'm not even saying qb2 but don't you have to consider qb3 yeah here's um is pj walker has looked terrible but i'm gonna say this is pj walker has been in the league uh for several years he played at a high level in the xfl or was xfl or usfl um, one of them, he played at a very high level and, uh, you brought him in and he's, he's much closer to the style of play as Justin Fields. And that's kind of what you want is a backup quarterback that you can, 
put in without having to completely change your offensive play calling. Hmm. And, you know, he's not nearly as good as Justin Fields, but he's a similar style. You're like, okay, well, we can go with that. And he also has, you know, who's worked with DJ Moore, their number one wide receiver. And that's all fine. And I'm not saying and you have to get rid of PJ Walker, yeah, but is but your other option at quarterback is I, I think you were probably keeping three. I think the cautionary tale of of the San Francisco 49ers and the rule change that came about that is like you, you probably are keeping three wide receiver or three quarterbacks. Mm-hmm. And your other option is Nathan Peterman. And Nathan Peterman has played fine this preseason. There's nothing, this has nothing to do with Nathan Peterman. Uh, this has to do with Tyson Bajan. And, you know, Nathan Peterman has been in this league for, let's see, he played two years in Buffalo, two years in Vegas, and this is his second year in Chicago. This is his sixth year. And he's a, he's like third, almost, was he like 30 years old almost? Um, and we know he's not good. Yet we know who he is. We know who he is, and it's it's not a knock on him. I I personally would move on from him. Let him try to latch on with another team. Give him more opportunity, and uh, and let Tyson Bajan have that opportunity to let him play because you did him a disservice. Nathan Peterman got to play a lot of football in that game against Indianapolis when that should have been Tyson Bajan going, yeah, this is the Tyson Bajan game. Yeah. I I mean, I, like, because, okay, you want to make the argument for P.J. Walker being on the team? Fine. Fine. And, you know, Nathan Peterman didn't look shabby at all in that preseason game. But, again, we know who Nathan Peterman is. And I think it would be a disservice if we dismiss the potential young talent in favor of somebody you know is just going to be a third string quarterback on any NFL team. Yeah, it's this is again, this has nothing to do with the performance Nathan Peterman has put in. And I know John Gruden thinks very highly of him. And uh, but this is a this is a guy that we know his ceiling is almost 30 years old. Let him, let him just go. And I, I don't even care about the argument of who should be the second string quarterback is you're going to keep, you should keep three. Right. Because if you try to put uh, Tyson Bajan with the way he has played on a practice squad, somebody is going to take him. Exactly. Exactly. You don't want to risk that. So is put him on the 53 and, and, you know, you can figure it out in practices and whatever else of who is, who is your backup quarterback? Like, but all three Tyson Bajan should be on this 53 man roster. I agree. I just, you're, you're not, you're really not gaining anything by having Nathan Peterman on the roster at this point. And I'm sure he's a great teammate and a veteran to have around, but yeah, I'm not shitting on him. I'm, I'm doing this as a favor is I think you have to keep Bajan. That means you're not keeping Peterman unless you're planning to keep a fourth quarterback as a practice squad quarterback. 
maybe I and, just and if, if that's your plan, then okay. But otherwise, I would say let him go and let him let him try to latch on with somebody else. Right. Because you you know the chances are PJ Walker is not just gonna be jettisoned after signing it. I know it's not a lot of money, but it would be surprising to me if they just right away ate PJ Walker's contract. Yeah, I mean, it's you know, we're shitting on him because two preseason games he hasn't looked good, but he's he's learning a brand new offense and you know, I we got to cut him some slack. Uh, I know Bajan's learning the same new offense, but, um, you know, we've seen what we've seen PJ Walker have success in the NFL in a short short stint, but we've seen him have the success. So, you know, let's let's give a longer uh, sample size before we make a final decision. But I think Tyson Bajan has done plenty to to warrant being on this 53-man roster because if you let him go and he he plays, you know, continues this growth and he ends up being a really good quarterback and you just let him go for nothing, mm-hmm. that that just looks stupid. Exactly, exactly. And Listen, who the hell knows what Tyson Bajan's ever going to be in the NFL? We we don't know. It could be nope. could be nothing, but it's 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 a matter of hanging on to a guy that might have a ceiling versus a guy that we know where the ceiling is. And I think that best case scenario right now is Fields 1, Walker 2, Bajan 3. That's the way I'd put it together. Yeah, cuz I'm going to give you a cautionary tale of a young quarterback that was unheralded and came in to a season and played well and found wound up getting a, a big contract afterwards, Mike Glennon. Oh. And, you know, so maybe Bajan is not a, a, a real NFL quarterback. And this is all, you know, he had a preseason fluff. Yeah. He was a preseason fluke. And you're like, Oh, well against vanilla defenses and, and backup players, he's playing well, but, against you know real defenses and you know starting caliber players he's not gonna uh, evolve to anything who knows maybe maybe that's the case but what have you got to lose at this point like i said you know who nathan peterman is and now you can find out if tyson bajan has any value as a backup quarterback yeah if you don't feel he's capable then you go well pj walker then is just are, are still number two but i mean you know like if I just think he's shown he has the pedigree and, and I remember Greg Gabriel did post this. He said that when he was still scouting, one thing they, one of the main things they looked for with quarterbacks was uh, their college play, regardless of the level, the, their college play and the over a career and how they progressed and how many snaps they they had they wanted to see the more snaps they've they had the more throws they made the you know the better that they project or you're able to project them in the nfl because you have a bigger body of work and tyson bajant has a big body of work and who cares that it's against lesser competition he played with lesser talent as well and he looked good so 
now that he comes in and with the NFL and he's being very humble and he's just performing just makes you go, okay, maybe we have something here. And I know the bears paid him like a lot more than other undrafted free agents to come here. So maybe that tells you right there that they value him as it is. Yeah. They've, I think they value him. And I think, I think he's exceeding expectations. I think they were hoping to practice squad him. And I, I think he's forced that issue. Um, you know, barring either just bottoming out in game three or an injury. I, I think he's, I think he's forced the issue that he's QB three at least. Sure. Um, let's see, what else do I have? Uh, the bears offense, uh, they have really worked hard and, and are starting to produce with screen passes. Isn't it a wonderful sight? Isn't it a really nice change of pace for once? Yeah. You know, it's time and place for everything is the bears couldn't do it previously. They've worked at it and you're seeing success. You're seeing it executed well. And, uh, and you know, yards, yards in the air, pass. like those people, I don't give a shit because in the NFL, you need to be able to throw a screen pass to play winning football. Period. Yak, 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 yak. Yeah, yak is more important than yards in the air. For only Justin Fields, nobody gave a shit until Justin Fields threw a couple of screen passes. Yeah, you know, I I am the king of screaming that Patrick Mahomes is the king of yak. But you know what? You're not going to ever hear me disrespect him as a quarterback because he's the best quarterback in the NFL, even though he's the king of getting yak. But you know what? Even when you are the king of getting yak, Patrick Mahomes has the intelligence to be able to know how to execute that because it's a lot harder to execute those screens than you think, because obviously everyone's got to be in sync, but how often do you see a guy like Pat Mahomes when the pressure comes, he knows exactly how and where to get that ball out. That is not as easy as it looks. Yep. And you've got to, you know, a lot of times you're throwing that at a weird angle. You're throwing it high. You're throwing it low because a defender's right there. Um, and he's flawless every time he executes it. And also, you know, just because the player is getting the yards and you're getting the credit, you have to be able to get them the ball in a position that they allows the player to get those yards. If you, if you throw it behind and they have to stop and, you know, change direction to make the catch, they're not going to get as many yards after the catch because they've mm-hmm. stopped their momentum. But if you throw a ball, it hits them in stride and uh, you know, you have the potential to gain, help them gain more yards. There's a lot of quarterback component to it. So yeah, I don't take anything patch from away from Patrick Mahomes because he's helping create those that yak, but he also throws a lot of short passes that go for long distances. And you know, that's that's how guys pad their stats. The better you execute, the more you yak. Yeah, if you think if you think uh you know that Tom Brady threw for 5000 yards or 4500 yards with no screen passes, uh I've got something to tell you is for many of those years, the the, uh, Patriots had little 
running game. And they use those short passes as in lieu of the running game. And he got all of those yards put on his stats. And it didn't take away from him being, you know, a Hall of Fame quarterback. Right. Um, let's see. Uh, let's see. The special teams play was excellent. Uh, you had, um, I think the return game could have been a little better, but okay. I, I mean, the, the coverage, the special teams, coverage, the, the coverage. Yes, yes. Was very, very good. Yeah. Um, and the know, kicking, know, you know, Caro Santos hit a 50 yard. Yeah. But, you know, everybody's like, oh, Velas Jones sucks at punt return. What what is what is Vail, or, uh, Dante Pettis doing? That's so amazing. Well, he doesn't turn the ball over, but like he was taking the ball out to like the 18. Like there was there wasn't really mo- much speed or elusiveness. It was just kind of. You know, he, he wasn't really able to get around anybody. Who was the kick returner? Before uh, the the Bears brought in um, uh, Cordero Patterson, who was the kick returner the year before? Wasn't that Tariq Cohen? No, he yeah, was the punt, maybe punt returner. Who was the kick? He was guy? punt returner. Um, I can't remember. Was what it? It, it was, dude sucked, and we were just like. But they had him back there because he was sure-handed and didn't make any mistakes. But he also wasn't returning anything. And you're like, Jesus, this is this is we had Devin Hester. Now we've got this garbage. And then we got Cordero Patterson, and it was like, oh, thank God, we can we can return a kick again. Um, I'm this is bothering me. I'm going to look it up because I remember Tariq Cohen returning punts, but the kick returns was it. Did Anthony Miller get any of that? Let's see. Returning. Um, I know um, Benny Cunningham was technically. um, Benny Cunningham. I think it was Benny Cunningham. He was he was on the list of returners. And yes, he was a returner. You had uh, Benny Cunningham. Taquan Mizell and Anthony Miller. It was like a hodgepodge. Anthony Miller was hurt and Taquan Mizell was like, he didn't play much. So it was mostly Benny Cunningham. And he was just like, oh, well, he didn't mess up. Like he didn't do anything good. He just didn't make a mistake. And it was so infuriating. And then we're like, thank God we got Cordero Patterson, who's an actual returner. And I feel like we're, we're going to get into that zone if, we keep Dante Pettis on this team solely for the purpose of returning punts uh, because like he may have been great at it in college, but he is, he, he's not giving us anything here just because he didn't fumble. Um, But on the coverage, the kick coverage and punt coverage, uh, I think they played, played really well. And that's, that's good. And you've got a lot of guys that you brought in that are good special teams players, um, even if they're not starting caliber players for your position. So, um, you know, we're going to lose some of those guys when the cuts. I just hope we're still able to maintain good kick coverage, even if we lose some of those guys in, in the, uh, 
the cut down day. Right. Um, you had again good play. Terrell Lewis looked good. Uh, um, Travis Gibson looked good again. Um, but one thing I do want to call out. The Bears' backup offensive lineman looked good. Doug Kramer has played well. Uh, Jatire Carter has played well. Um, Alex Leatherwood, playing left guard, has played well. And Larry Borum played really well this week. Yeah, it's nice to see. Jair uh, Carter's an interesting one, I think. I think he's going to be important uh, because Tevin Jenkins has a history of injuries and um, Nate Davis is, we don't know what's going on with him, is you you feel like Jair Carter's going to get put into to duty at some point. And um, he was a guy that they were high on after they drafted him last year. But he he had a lot of growing to do. He had to get stronger. He had to get a better center of gravity and some better technique. And he worked out with Braxton Jones with uh, Olin Krutz. He was the other guy that worked out with him this offseason. And it seems like things are paying off for him in that respect. Mm-hmm. And Doug Kramer's a guy I like a lot, and we lost him to injury last year. And I kept saying to guy to people that were like, the Bears didn't do anything to address the the center position. And I was like, well, yeah, they did. They moved White Hair over. Lucas Patrick, in theory, is going to be healthy. And you have Doug Kramer, who was basically redshirt last year because he got injured during training camp, um, who's coming back. And Lucas Patrick is again injured. Um, and he's a guy I'm going to say, why don't they part ways with him? Yeah, I know what you mean. Um, I have a feeling he's not going to make this team, but Doug Kramer has two for two good games, both games. He, he had his pro football focus grade was good. And what you watched on film was good. And I, I think they see him as the guy for the future. I really do. I I don't I mean I think that's probably the hope because then he's on the team already. Um, you just hear about how much they like him. I, I think they're very high on him. You know, I was listening to the uh, Windy Clitty, uh, the Windy City Gridiron podcast, and they were kind of ribbing on people that are Doug Kramer stands, and I'm like, like I'm not like a stand because it's I'm not blindly following him. Is I liked him coming out of Illinois. And I was bummed when he got injured. And when he came back, I was like, I, I'm excited to see what he can do. And he's performed well, especially considering that Lucas Patrick's not in there. And now Whitey Coathair has a injured hand. So I think next week you're going to see him probably start again. And I'm going to guess he's probably going to play between him and Dieter Iselin. They're probably going to play the whole game at the center position and, mm-hmm. and you know, who are you, you going to, who are you going to pick to, to be on your squad 
I mean, Whitey Coat Harris, if he's healthy, is going to be the starting center. Right. That's a given. It's But you're going to have a backup center. And who are you going to pick? A guy that's that spent all last year injured and has come in this year and hasn't played because he's been injured? Or a guy who has played really well in you know, all of the preseason games and that you, your regime drafted and you save $5 million in cap space by cutting the other guy. Like it just, it seems like a no brainer that you're going to keep Doug Kramer and not Lucas Patrick. Right. Um, But you know, Leatherwood, this seems like they're justified in when they picked him up and paid the rest of his rookie deal, which was mm-hmm. a couple million bucks. He seems to have found his spot at guard and he's played well. And, you know, if you have two guards that are on rookie deals, uh, uh, that actually you'll have three guards playing on rookie deals. Uh, You know, three of your, three of your four guards are playing on rookie deals and they're playing good football. That's a bonus. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and Larry Borum playing well is a good sign because I was worried that their swing tackle wasn't on this roster and that they were going to try to have to trade or pick up somebody off the waiver wires, you know, to be that swing tackle. But Larry Borum has been playing pretty well. And if he wins that job, that's good for the Bears. I agree. Um, let's see, what other notes do I have? Uh, Jervon Dexter has gotten most of the publicity uh, as the Bears' new drafted defensive tackles, and he's played well. But Pickens, the other drafted defensive tackle, has been playing great. Mm-hmm. He's been very noticeable this preseason. Yeah, he has just been a ball of energy and I love seeing it. I love watching those two getting time together to play next to each other because that's, that's the future of the bears defensive line right there. Mm -hmm. Um, let's see. What else do I have here? Uh, we don't know bears injury status on anything until week one. So we are all just playing guessing games. Um, and we'll see what if the Bears play any starters in game three. Uh, I would kind of hope three. so. Um, you know, we've got Buffalo this week on su- a Saturday. Bills and, fan puke cometh. You know, and that's I think that's a good game because that's a that's a team that a lot of people have as their AFC, you know, one of their contenders for to go to the Super Bowl. And it's a. It's a game where, you know, sure, they're quote unquote meaningless, but it's a measuring stick to see what you look like against those players. Right. Absolutely. Yep. You know, we saw we saw this week where you had the joint practices against the Colts and you saw the Bears. They played like everything meant something to them. They've got everything got chippy and um, there was uh and there was no filming at that point, but there was a play that I read about where um, Tyreek Stevenson was on special teams against the, the Indianapolis Colts gunner. And 
he chucked that dude like five yards and laid him out. Um, so he couldn't make a play. And, and, you know, I love seeing it. I love seeing the physicality. And I love seeing, I love joint practices because that gives you, it gives you a different perspective than playing against your own teammates. Yeah. I mean, it was kind of like, uh, it was kind of like a situation where you can say it might not be played at the intensity, full intensity of a game, but it's certainly bigger than just playing scrimmages against your own team. And, you know, you obviously did a little bit of everything. You did one-on-ones, you did a bunch of drills, and then you kind of, you know, played some simulations. But, I I mean, that's the nice thing that I like about these joint practices because kind of to your point, it feels more like a preseason game when you're able to do this sort of thing. And I'm going to tell you something that's, that's, you know, nobody's told me this is a fact, but I'm willing to put money on it is so when you teams can't film practices unless it's their practice. Right. Um, so when the Colts and the bears have a joint practice, both teams are recording it, but the rest of the league doesn't get to see that. So they're able to do a lot of the things that they would do in a regular season game that they wouldn't do in a preseason game because a preseason game, everybody gets the film on that. So they're trying not to give anything away. They're going to do some of those things in, in those scrimmages with the Colts because the other teams don't have access to that film. So they're going to try some, some, you know, plays out in situations they're going to try to do to run on a real defense that they would you know not a vanilla defense they're going to try to fool players they're going to they're going to do certain things that they don't do in the preseason games because they don't want it on film at this point yeah absolutely um but you know as much as it's been fun to have football and being able to watch you know some of these newer guys I am ready for the regular season to start. I think a lot of people are. Um, how do you feel? About the season? Yeah. Um, I'm excited. Uh, I I think um, the way the season is lined up um, is good. So the Packers right off the bat, you can, you have an opportunity to make your most hated rival start off the season with a loss and being last in the division. You've got game two is against the Buccaneers who quite possibly could be the worst team in the NFL. They could be, they could be that quarterback battle is, is not good. Um, And then game three, is I don't, don't expect them to win that, but it's a good measuring stick to see where you are. So let's say you beat the Packers and you beat the Buccaneers and you start 2-0. and Is a lot of teams are going to be 2-0. and Is what you don't, like what I hate to see is when you're a team that's unproven like the Bears, like let's say that they, they're good this year and they, they start off with a good record. And at some point, every analyst and every show is going to be like, are the bears for real? Are the bears for real? This team for real? Are they, are they for real? Are they fake? Blah, blah, blah. And you get to answer that right off the bat. 
is, you know, they play the Chiefs week three. Is you don't need to win that game to to prove who you are. You just, I mean, you can watch that game, and if you play them tough, and they have to give, you know, do everything they can to eke out a win against you, that that's one of those ones you chalk up to a moral victory. You're like, hey, like that's that's a team that um, just won the Super Bowl and is expected to go to the Super Bowl again, and we we played them down to the wire and that's that's where we are and and we're not done growing yet um you know the broncos i know Sean Payton is a fantastic coach i think it's going to take more than a few weeks to him for him to turn this whole roster around and i think his comments about uh the previous head coach um, are his way of saying like, Hey, Hey, this is why I'm, if I suck, it's because the last guy sucked so bad. It takes me a while to build up. So I think he might be feeling like he's not in their final form yet. Um, and then you've got the commanders who I think that's a very winnable game. I, so yeah, the early part of the season, I'm, I mean, Fingers crossed. I'm feeling pretty good, but who knows? Everything could just go south. You have no idea. It's the NFL. Yeah. Um, about week one against the Packers. There's a lot of optimism from this fan base against that team. I, I, I'm not I'm gonna, so sure. Think about the words I said. You have the opportunity to make your most hated rival yes, start zero one and make them last place in the division to start off the bat. You have the opportunity. You definitely have that opportunity. This is not the same team as the last several years. There is there is big changes on this team. Um, but yeah, and but the thing is, is until you beat the Packers. You know, they're I, they they uh, they own you. They own I, you until you beat them. I I I I don't like how good Jordan Love has looked this preseason. It's preseason. You know who else has looked awesome in preseason? Mitchell Trubisky. I guess. So I you know, a lot of guys have looked awesome, awesome in preseason, and they just look. I mean, Nathan Peterman has looked pretty good in preseason, and we know he sucks. So I'm not going to anoint Jordan Love because uh, there's been so much smoke about about him being a bad quarterback that um, it can't all be made up. And maybe he started to figure it out, but I've seen some real bad throws from him. And these are against vanilla defenses is if, even if he's good, even if he's mediocre to good, he's not going to be Aaron Rodgers where he's historically uh, great at not throwing interceptions. 
Aaron Rodgers is historically great at how good he's been at not throwing interceptions. Absolutely. There is there is no question about it. Is even if Jordan Love is good, he is not going to be historically good at not throwing interceptions. And uh, the Bears are going to not let him beat them with deep throws. He's going to have to dink and dunk everything. And at some point, new quarterbacks make mistakes when you make them march down the field. That's what they do. And, you know, he may be good. He may beat the Bears. I think, though, that the Bears are going to be able to they're going to be able to intercept him and cause him to make mistakes. And at least enough for Packer fans to go, this sucks. This is not Aaron Rodgers. Yeah, we'll see. We'll see. Well, is there anything else you wanted to add? Nope. I think I've said my piece. Well, I think that's going to do it for this episode of Bill Swirsky Sports Talk Chicago. I want to thank everybody so much for listening. Please hit subscribe however you listen to podcasts, whether it's iTunes, Stitcher, YouTube, Google Play, Spotify, etc. Share this podcast with your friends. That's how we grow the show. Follow us on social media uh, at Swirsky Sports, Facebook.com slash Swirsky Sports, Swirsky Sports.com or ShyFanPat2 for Alex on Twitter slash X or AlexanderJPatCreative.com for all the cool stuff that Alex does. And again, thank you guys so much for listening. And until next time, bear down. Cubs win! What a lucky break! The good Lord wants the Cubs to win! We thank Ditka and God for all they have provided. Cubs win! Cubs win! Cubs win! Oh, I don't want her. You can have her. She's a Packer fan. She can't fit in my van. And she looks like... Remember, New Yorkers, smoking crack is not legal on planes. Bears, 31 to negative 7. The Bears. Oh, when the Bears go bearing down.